You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. Offend each other as much as possible. And then the second movement seems to be kind of this grasp at, like, conservative values, but, but from, and, and not really sure why, you know, just grasp and try to recover what used to be, you know, but we don't really know what used to be. And I think these many tribes that have come about as a, as a result of this kind of way of relating to one another in our society today, I mean, it takes the name identity politics, and I think that's kind of what we seem to call it now, and, and I think that's a good way of describing it. Uh, the way that people just generally relate to each other, both on a political and a social uh, sphere, or on a social plane. So I think it's also, as we well know, a very uncomfortable topic, because we see whenever someone tries to wade into this and maybe call it out, they, they're, often they say the wrong thing and then their whole reputation is destroyed or they lose their jobs, and uh, many of them justly, but many unjustly as well. So I, th- I know it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable ground to stand on, talk about this stuff. So then why would I bring it up? I think because we hear the preaching of John the Baptist today, and he's the forerunner of Christ, come to prepare the way for the Messiah, and I think he speaks right into this, right into it as though he was standing here today. And, and the first thing that he says is repent. And I, I think when, when John the Baptist says repent, he doesn't mean it in the way necessarily that we think of it today, at least not in that narrow way. He does mean that, but he means much more. We think of repentance, I think, as kind of being sorry for our sins. Uh, And he does mean that on some level, but he means something much more. He uses the word metanoia, which is a Greek word. And we see it at least one other place in the scriptures. St. Paul uses it in his letter to the Romans. And the way we translate it there is, you know, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So I think John here means something much more like turn your minds away from the attitudes by which you have defined yourselves as the goal of your life and turn back to the mind of God. So that's what he's telling us. Turn away from the way you have defined yourself and turn back to God. So I think that that kind of allows us to reconsider our approach to one another in our culture today and, and see that kind of just how destructive this tribalism that's, that's developing is. I think we need to look closely at the person of John the Baptist here and as someone who knows exactly who he is. John the Baptist knows exactly what he has come for and exactly who he is, and no one else will define him. So we look at him, and then maybe we can learn something about ourselves. So John's journey out in the desert isn't kind of fleeing the culture. It's not fleeing the world. He's going out in the desert as an act of mercy to everyone else. How's that? I think we're not the first generation to be distracted. We're not the first culture that, that provides those things. You know, first, first century Rome had quite a bit to offer in the way of distractions. And all of Judea was a part of that Roman Empire, so it had all of those amenities. And I think John goes out into the wilderness because he knows that the solitude, the quiet, the kind of waste of the wilderness is a place where 
we can actually hear clearly. It's always the place where when someone speaks, the echo is actually heard. And not only that, he kind of makes himself into the man of the desert. He makes himself into a a wild man of sorts. He's wearing a camel hair shirt, which would be miserable. I mean, I don't know if you've ever gotten hair down your shirt after you get a haircut. That's miserable. Imagine just your shirt being made of hair. And then like a leather girdle and a belt, and he just eats whatever's around, which is a couple locusts and a little bit of honey. And so this guy has some credibility. When he speaks, you listen. And so he makes his kind of witness undeniable. He's living it. And so all of Judea goes out to hear him. And so what does he want us to hear? I think we, we, we looked into that first word. You know, turn away from your own definition and back to God's identity for you. What else? I think we see John here is witnessing to something bigger than himself. He says, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. He doesn't come to talk about himself. Actually, John never says a single thing about himself. He doesn't even say who he is. When they ask him who he is, he says, I'm a voice crying out in the desert. So his whole identity, his whole mission, is about something bigger than himself. It's about the Messiah, the coming of Christ. So I think this teaches us a little bit about how we ought to identify ourselves. That our politics and that our relationships and that everything about us ought to spring forth from our identity in Christ. So what does this mean for us? Because that's a, that's a nice thing to say, but it's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's necessarily clear how to go about that. I think in today's world, more than ever, we kind of tend to see the whole world through one lens. Like we, we kind of figure out whatever our lens is and we put it on and we interpret everything through it. And that, and that sometimes can help us to survive, but it sometimes can destroy us. And so we need to be aware of that. We're, we're told in a variety of ways where we fit in the social and political spectrum. And then kind of once we believe that, we kind of put on that lens. And then we kind of mold ourselves in whatever way we need to to be able to fit into that crowd so we can have some sort of solidarity with someone, you know, someone who understands us. And then hopefully we can fit the church in there somewhere. But John the Baptist lives in a very different way. You know, we look at his life, and the people of his day looked at his life and saw that there was obviously something new in him. He refused himself, he refused to be identified in any way outside of his mission. He was the voice crying out in the desert, and that's it. And he was constantly calling everyone's attention to someone other than himself. And I think that's the key to happiness that, that we miss when we look to our own identity. I think we end up looking usually at something about ourselves. We're kind of, when we want to figure out who we are, we look directly at ourselves and say, what's that, that feature? What's that thing you know, that, that empowers me? Or that, what's that thing that makes me unique? What's that thing that would make people want to love me? And we take that one part of ourselves that we find, and then we make it our whole identity. And, and kind of, that's our whole story. But it's not our whole story. Inevitably, we're going to compromise ourselves when we do something like that. Instead, we need to look to Christ for our identity. 
Because we are made with a particular mission. And that mission demands every gift that we have. It demands every virtue that we've possibly developed. It demands every part of us. Uh, that's why the saints are the, the most alive people who have ever lived. Because once they found that mission and started to pursue it, then they came fully alive. You know, they actually, they actually became totally who they were called to be. They didn't make one small part of them their whole identity. They became the, the fully alive person that they were created to be. Uh, and then they rose above their culture. They kind of rose out of the superficial divisions of their time uh, and became something new to everyone around them. I think that's what, that's what we're called to do. When we, when we unite ourselves to Christ, we can kind of penetrate the truth of things. And we're no longer kind of stuck with the degrading slavery of being a child of our time, of being stuck in our own cultural context. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. And so we kind of figure out that mission and then go out to make that mission a reality. Because the only other option, as far as, as, far as I'm concerned, I, I, as far as I know, is to kind of pick that characteristic about ourselves, whether it's kind of like, whether it's a political thing or a moral thing or a sexual thing or, or some skill that we have or our physical appearance or maybe our, our athletic ability or our wealth and, and just make that our whole identity and then, and then usually rage against the world who disagrees with us on that. I think taking any identity for ourselves short of son or daughter of God is, is an offense to our Christian dignity, actually. It's just, not, it's just not a good enough identity. Then, if we can take that, that identity as sons and daughters of God, our joy will be evident to everyone around us. They'll wonder what it is about this person that's new. And then we'll be able to kind of see with the eyes of Christ and trans- transcend our time. Transcend those kind of superficial divisions. And like John the Baptist, kind of the, the catching force of the gospel will be at the center of our lives. You know, John was a radical man, but he wasn't crazy. He just had that razor-sharp focus of someone who knows who they are. Uh, and people saw that, and they came to him and wanted to listen to what he said. So I think if we really make our identity Christ and, and adopt that as the only thing about us that really matters, we'll become fully alive. Like John the Baptist, our whole identity will be the gospel. And then, and then that, that great power and strength that comes in that will make us fully alive and help others to know their own great call and their own mission. Amen.